Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. If you've not got a Bible with you, it will come on reading on the screen, or you might find one in the, the, the seat in front of you, but I encourage you to have a Bible and follow along. As we read, we're just working our way through the, the, the book of Acts. And uh, this morning we're looking at Acts 6, and from verse 8 to the end of the chapter. And we remind ourselves that this is the Word of God. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized and brought them before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard them say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So read God's precious word. Turn with me to the passage that we read there. As we noted last week, after some adjustments in the way that the church or the early church carried out its care for one another, the apostles were now at that position where they were freed up to get on with what God had called them to, primarily preaching and realizing that they couldn't do that without calling on God. They commit themselves to the word and to prayer. While the seven who were chosen to, to wait on tables got on with that, no doubt aided by others. And as a result of that structural change, so to speak, the church grew to such an extent that even a large number of priests came to faith. And as I said last week, at this point, the early church in the main is made up of Jewish believers. However, God has got a much bigger scope of people to, to reach and to call into his kingdom than just those of Jewish descent. 
And so the next few chapters that, that we will look at over however long it takes in Acts are actually crucial. They're crucial in laying the foundations so that the full message of new life would go out not just to the Jews but to the Samaritans and then ultimately to the Gentiles. And of course, in many ways, that is what we should expect to see happen because you may very well recall Jesus' words back in Acts chapter 1. He says this to his apostles, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's happening now, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, the earth. And what happens following Stephen's arrest and his martyrdom is the fulfilling of these words of Jesus. And we will see, brothers and sisters, how that unfolds over the next weeks. We will see especially the effect that it had on a young man called Saul. But for this morning, I want to just spend some time doing something something like a character study of Stephen. He's really impressed me as I've studied this past week. And noticing something of what he was like, what he faced, and how he responded. So firstly, let's notice something of Stephen's strengths. And let's remember at best he was just a man saved by grace, okay? He's not a superhero. He's just a man saved by grace. It's interesting to notice what Luke tells us about Stephen. And he shares with us at least what I can see, six strengths, six characteristics that Stephen shows. We see that he was a man full of faith. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man full of God's grace. He was, more than he was a more than capable apologist. He had great wisdom, and boy, did he know his scriptures. Not bad characteristics to begin with. Notice how many times Luke uses the word full. Full of God's grace and power. Full of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit. And notice how we are told that Stephen, Stephen did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And, and, and we can think of ourselves, or at least I did, what a guy. God is surely going to use this man for many years to come. What a ministry he must be going to have. Well, we'll park that just now and come to it later on. Well, what does it mean to be full of God's grace? Often when in the Bible we read of someone being full, it actually means to be controlled by. And Stephen is full of God's grace. He is full of faith. He is full of power. He is full of the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that when we read he was full of faith, it's not that his faith was, was different in kind from the faith that others had. 
No, his faith was, as, as one writer says, it was exceptional in the extent to which he was willing to trust Christ. To take him at his word and risk all for Jesus. His faith was firmly rooted and grounded in Christ. In Christ alone. And in the word of God. And I thought, oh, to be that man of faith. Full of faith. He was also full of the Holy Spirit. I actually believe that this was his key strength. And that everything else kind of flowed from that. And I want to just say that it's important that we see that this was also a strength of all seven that had been chosen. It was also the case of the apostles. And I want to make it crystal clear, brothers and sisters, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is for all who believe. All who believe. Yet it's clear that in Stephen's case, this fullness of the Holy Spirit manifested itself in, in, in such a way that it was clear for all to see. But because we are told clearly that Stephen, though he was not one of the apostles, also did great wonders and miraculous signs. Yeah, as I was studying the character of Stephen and have a conversation with him one day in heaven, I, I, we see something of a balance. Here is a man full of faith, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit. Here is a man doing great wonders and, 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 and miraculous signs. Yet did you also know that he is full of grace? One of the writers make, makes a point that, that as this strength, this gift, this characteristic comes before, if you like, what he refers to as the, the external manifestation of God's power, we can assume that it refers to the way God was manifested internally in the life of Stephen. A kind of what was in came out. The word that is used here for grace is charis. And it can mean here spiritual charm or a word that I've grown to love, winsomeness. A lovely word that. Winsomeness. That is to say, Stephen had let God's grace impact him so much 
that he was a gracious person. There was, there was a loveliness about him. Uh, we will see in our final point how as they looked at him, his face shone like that of an angel. And let's not make the mistake that his graciousness actually meant weakness. For we will see in his sermon in chapter 7 some of the strong things that he said against the Jews. Did you notice how Luke tells us that his opponents were never able to stand up against his wisdom or by the Spirit whom he spoke. It wasn't just that Stephen was knowledgeable. There's, there's a difference, isn't there, between knowledge and wisdom. Someone has once said that, that knowledge is to know that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is to know not to put it in a fruit salad. There's a, there's a difference. And what Stephen has here is not just knowledge, it's not just wisdom, it is inspired wisdom. We'll come to his knowledge in a minute, but it's wisdom that is here. It is spirit-filled. It is spirit-led. Indeed, this is also a fulfilling of the words of Jesus. Words that Luke recorded back in, in chapter 21 of his gospel when Jesus said this concerning those who would follow him. They will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogue and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. See how it is all being fulfilled? But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or to contradict. And this is the fulfilling of Jesus' words. Jesus' words can be trusted. That's what's happening here. They could not stand up to that Christ-promised, that Spirit-given wisdom that Stephen showed. But as I said, there's also another important point to make here because related to that is Stephen's knowledge. And as we will see next time, his application of Scripture. This is and chapter 7 particularly, is apologetics at its best. I've been so impressed with Stephen's balanced Christianity. Full of faith, full of power, doing great wonders, doing miraculous signs, yet full of grace. Ain't it the kind of guy you would like to know? Winsome in his attitude. Sharing. Showing. 
proving Christ from the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, that's not an easy strength or strengths to have. But it's possible. It's possible. Because the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit is as much for you and I as it was for Stephen. And that fullness and that power can work in us and through us as much as it did through Stephen and through others. In, in his commentary, Aegis Fernando gives five requirements in order to be able to do, as Stephen does here, give strong, convincing argument that others will not be able to stand up to. Firstly, he says, we need to know the Scriptures. How much time do you spend in the Scriptures? We need to know the Scriptures. That's why preaching plays an integral part of the ministry here. Two, we actually need to know to whom we are ministering and the way that they think. We've seen that already with Peter's sermons, and we'll see it with Stephen's. Thirdly, we need to allow the Scriptures to speak, especially as we look for ways to connect between the world of the Bible and the world of our audience. They are not a million miles apart. Fourthly, and here's a crucial, well, they're all crucial, but fourthly, there must be no hindrance to the filling of the Spirit in our lives. We need to be clean vessels that are fit and ready for the Master's use. If there is sin in our lives, then we need to confess it and we need to get rid of it, whatever that sin might be. And fifthly, through prayer, we need to make sure that we are in tune with the mind and the will of the Spirit. These are strengths that I believe Stephen showed and they are strengths and they are characteristics that we should endeavor to, to work out in our own lives. And who knows? Who knows what God can and God will do through people who are committed such as Stephen? Stephen's strengths. Secondly, we notice that Stephen was seized. We're not given any reason, but in verse 9 we are told that opposition arose and, and it arose from a particular group. And, and, and Luke tells us that they were members of the synagogue of the freedmen and, and, and that they came from four places. It's a little bit of geography, Cyrene and Alexandria were cities in Upper Africa and, and Cilicia and Asia, which were provinces in Asia Minor. More likely than not, these were descendants from those who had been liberated either from slavery or imprisonment and had come back to Jerusalem. 
And, and what is going on here is likely something that we noticed last week. Right? Regarding, remember last week we looked at the kind of Hellenist synagogue. And, ve- and, and that may very well have been the one that Stephen attended. And what we see is that they are unable to silence Stephen through debate, verse 10. And because they can, as it were, beat him there, they resort to trying to do it through the law. And they begin to use underhand tactics. Look at how these religious people seek to get their way. They, They secretly persuade others to say that they had heard Stephen blaspheme against God and Moses. And then what they do is they stir up the people. They're agitators. These are religious people. They stir up the people. They stir up the elders. They stir up the teachers of the law. And, and, and these kind of trumped up charges then allow them to, to, to seize Stephen and to bring him before the Sanhedrin. Now, if you've been with us long enough, you'll, you'll know that that was the road that the apostles have already been down. And now here is a non-apostle, Stephen, being brought before them with the kind of charge that he never stops speaking against this holy place, that is the temple, and against the law. We have heard him say that, that this Jesus of Nazareth, and it's good to know that, like the apostles, Stephen was preaching Jesus, that, but, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and, and he's going to change the customs that Moses has handed down to us. And as we think on how they treated Stephen, those of you who know your Bible, don't, don't you begin to kind of see some, as it were, similarity between the treatment dished out to Stephen to that which was dished out to the Lord Jesus. They hire false witnesses. They stir up the people. They accuse him of attacking the law of Moses and of the temple. And then finally... After listening to his witnesses, they execute them. An old hymn's coming to mind just now. It is the way the master trod must not the servant tread it still. I think that's the words. But what it shows us, brothers and sisters, is that being faithful to God does not mean a life of plain sailing. Does not mean that everything being as we want. Indeed, for Stephen, with all his strengths, it is, the, it is the exact opposite. Faithfulness to God and to his word can often mean 
that we will face anger and opposition from both within and outside the church. And I assure you that is happening today. You take a stand for God and his word in relation to things like same-sex marriage or transgender. And not only is the world against you, part of the church is against you. Worldwide church I'm talking of. It's interesting to notice how this opposition, for want of a better word, proceeds. Do you notice what they do? Because there is, I guess, what we could call at first kind of theological discussion going on. A debate. But they're not able to stand up to Stephen's wisdom. So when they can't beat him on Scripture, <laughs> they then begin to raise a certain amount of lies about him. And then when that fails, they go down the legal road. And then ultimately we'll see when that fails, they resort to violence. Are we ready for that? That is happening today. See how up to date God's word is? And what Stephen is being accused of here is actually very serious. There were no two things that were more precious to the Jews than the temple and the law. To, so, to be accused of speaking against them was in their eyes blasphemy and blasphemy, blasphemy sorry, only carried one penalty and that penalty was death. And, and, and we'll look at Stephen's defence next week or maybe after the Easter break. However, let me go back to something I raised in my first point. I, I found myself asking another of these almost unanswerable questions uh, from, from the text. I've, I've explained before that that's the way that I approach my, my studies. I like to ask texts, ask questions of the text. And this was a question I had this week in study. If Stephen is so full of faith and so full of power and so full of the Spirit and so full of grace and, and, and if he is so effective in witnessing and defending the gospel, why does he now find himself up in these charges? Sure, and, and I mean, most of you know that the fact that he ends up getting martyred. Why? Surely he can do so much more for God while serving at, at tables and, and doing great wonders and miraculous signs. Yet, brothers and sisters, God's ways are not our ways. And very often what we do is we just look at the short term. But there is a much, much bigger plan, a much, much bigger picture. God's got an even greater plan at work than just the Jews hearing this message of new life. And Stephen's got a pivotal play, part to play in that. Yet when situations come over us, whatever way, whatever shape, whatever form, then like Stephen, we need to rest 
We need to trust in God's sovereignty and realize that even in the most gravest of situations, even in the most difficult of circumstances, we can still, as Stephen is, be a strong witness and have a strong testimony. Stephen's strength, Stephen seized. Finally, and very quickly, we notice Stephen shown. John Stock comments that Stephen was actually being charged with, with preaching and portraying the work of Christ in negative and destructive terms. When actually it was the opposite, as we'll see next time. You see, Stephen and the apostles preach about Christ positively and constructively. That in itself is a lesson for all preachers and for all teachers from Sunday school right through. You see, the gospel... The gospel is good news. The gospel brings forgiveness. The gospel brings life. The gospel brings hope. The gospel brings peace. The gospel brings joy. The gospel brings eternal life. Great is the gospel of our glorious God. So let's tell it out. Let's live it out in such a positive way. Let's not just our lips and our life show it, but let our faces show it. I, I recall, I think it was one of the Daily Bread notes years ago, and I've got it written down somewhere. It says this, if you've got Jesus in your heart, tell your face. I'm glad some of you have got Jesus in your heart. Look at what we're told about Stephen. Here he is, up in front of the Sanhedrin. He knows fine well that, that death is going to be passed on him. He knows that. But here he is, up in front of the Sanhedrin. He's got all of these trumped-up charges, facing, as I say, the real possibility of death. And what notice what? They looked, as they looked intently at Stephen, they saw his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know if they had ever seen the face of an angel. But that is significant, what Luke tells us. Because that is exactly what happened to Moses when he came down from being with God in Exodus chapter 34. His face shone. That has got to be significant. Here is Stephen. He's being accused of opposing Moses. And yet, he is described just as Moses was. Do you know why their face shone? Because that bore the mark of having been with God. 
There was a glow. There was a joy. There was a radiance. Because they spent time with Jesus. And his face shone. And that in itself spoke powerfully to these religious people. Brothers and sisters, may we so glow and shine for Jesus, just as Stephen did, so that others may see something of Christ in us. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord.